0: You're listening to Once, Episode 241, Her Handsome Hero. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin.
1: And I'm Jacqueline.
0: We're happy to have you joining us. We have watched and rewatched this episode, Her Handsome Hero, and we've got some great stuff to share with you. And there are some things hidden in this episode that we should probably not talk about.
1: Okay. Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs)
0: They are actually spoilers hidden in this episode and well, then they're not spoilers well that's a hard line to figure out and it's thanks to jack who writes our show notes she translated and decoded some stuff for us and she warned me she said daniel this is this is spoilers this stuff that i decoded Ooh. so i'm not sure if
2: you really want to use it well why don't we encode those things within our podcast
0: we could Maybe we've been doing that all of these 241 episodes now. We've been encoding a message.
2: Like, you know, we could just simply talk about how Emma dyes her hair. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. I know nothing. I don't even know what Daniel's talking about. I know no spoilers.
0: So let's then jump into discussing this episode, starting with the past. When Belle gets to meet Gaston there inside of the little barn, we learned that Gaston is the son of Lord Legume.
2: And <laughs> Those guys are nuts.
0: The, a couple of our great listeners sent in some feedback pointing out that Lord Legume's name, and I'm probably not pronouncing that at all correctly, means vegetable, which could be very interesting. Some people even said that was very appropriate to uh, call Gaston. A vegetable in the way that he acted and his morals and bad decisions and such.
2: How is that appropriate? I had a lot of names for Gaston, but none of them were vegetables. Well,
0: it it also can mean or refers to a seed or a nut. (laughs) Gaston was a little bit of a nut. Uh, Yes, to put it nicely.
1: Well, on top of that, Matt sent in some feedback that Gaston's surname was Legume in the original screenplay for Beauty and the Beast. Ah, nice. And he's actually got a YouTube video um, from the DVD special featurette that goes into it. And we can link to that in the show notes.
0: That's kind of like the Huntsman's last name from season one. His last name was Humbert, which we didn't discover until after he was dead. But that was also the name of the Huntsman from the Snow White movie. But that was never mentioned in the movie, but it was in the Uh, script.
2: Interesting. The main thing I took from this scene was that love that forms in staples on the show is not destined for good things.
0: So love in stables is not stable.
2: Correct. Instable love.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't think that that Gaston looked as much like the Gaston from Disney's Beauty and the Beast as this one does.
2: Right. I mostly remember him as a flower.
0: Yeah, with his legs cut off. And remember how we, <laughs> back then when we did our episode about skin deep, we were all theorizing, has he just been changed into a different form? Right. And did Rumple just cut his legs off? Or did Belle cut his legs off That's when true. she snipped the rosebud? Or did that kill him? What happened? Now we know. Being turned into a flower apparently kills you
1: yes. and sends you to the
0: underworld with unfinished business.
2: We'll have to incorporate that into our game with Dan Flynn when that happens.
1: I really loved Belle's blue coat, by the way. If we're making a list of all the pieces of clothing that Jacqueline wants from this season of Once Upon a Time, Belle's blue coat is now on the list.
2: How about Gaston's red jacket?
1: I will pass that up. <laughs> it's it's a little too cartoon Beauty and the Beast, but it fit him really well since he was very cartoon Beauty and the Beast. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, we did hear from this that... They weren't in complete war yet with the ogres. There had just been some things in the distance that happened that were causing concern. So that tells me this all happens before uh, the episode Family Business, where Bell's mother was killed by one of the ogres. And we'll get right. back to a connection. There are a couple connections there with that episode throughout this discussion. Belle agrees to let Gaston stick around a little bit. And while they're walking, he mentioned la few and it was great to hear that mention that was the name of the guy from the disney movie i don't know actually from the uh, the original fairy tale but that was in the original disney movie
3: <laughs> who does she think she is that girl has tangled with the wrong man no one says no to gaston <laughs> Don' right dismissed rejected publicly humiliated why it's more than i can bear uh, more beer what for Nothing helps. I'm disgraced. Oh, you? Never. Gaston, you've got to pull yourself together. Gosh, it disturbs me to see you, Gaston, looking so down in the dumps. Every guy here'd love to be you, Gaston, even when
1: taking your lumps.
0: So nice to have Lafu mentioned.
1: Is it okay that I was singing along the entire time?
2: <laughs> Perfectly. I don't know if nice is the right word for hearing him mentioned.
1: Yeah, because their relationship is pretty sad. I mean, Gaston's pretty abusive to him. He, at one point, shoves him outside Belle's house and says, you know, you have to stay here until she comes home. And he literally just sits there until she comes home. And it even starts to snow and he becomes a snowman. I may have seen Beauty and the Beast one too many times. (laughs) Actually, I've seen
0: it a lot too many times, too, because... When my family moved, Beauty and the Beast was a new movie at that time, and it was one of only two VHS tapes that we had. All of the rest of our movies were still in storage while we were in temporary housing. And so that movie I watched over and over and over, almost every day. And fun little fact, I used to grab the bed sheets off of the bed, tie them around my neck, and run around our little apartment pretending to be the beast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so now That's you know a little bit of
0: background with amazing. Me and be the beast. That's <laughs>
2: awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful see LeFou in the underworld. Maybe Gaston got him
1: killed. Well with the Ogre's war it sounds like a lot of people probably died, so maybe. A line that I thought was kind of funny. Was Belle's? You've only known me for an hour, and then she tries to insist that Gaston has to trust her. Um, I kind of thought that was funny, given the episode last week where Zelina kind of rejected this idea that Hades could truly love her because they'd only known each other a day.
0: Right. It happens. It's supposed to be that whole love at first sight kind of thing.
2: It's fairy tale. Trust at first walk. <laughs>
0: But they decide, after they see the ogre and that whole conversation happens, they go into Belle's library. And this is the first time that I think we've seen the ceiling in the library. And there were a bunch of murals. And I took some screenshots and I sent them to Jacqueline because I wanted to know there's got to be some Greek mythology hidden in these murals. (laughs) Jacqueline?
1: Well, I think so. When I first took a look at the murals, it's definitely something that looks Greek, But it kind of took really staring at it for me to come up with what I think the story on the mural is. So on the right-hand side, there is a guy, and he's wearing a laurel wreath. And I thought, well, okay, that's pretty common. Laurel wreaths are very, very popular in Greek and Roman art. But then I noticed that he's standing and leaning up against a tree. And that instantly brought to mind the story of Apollo and Daphne. So Apollo was god of the sun and he got into a fight with cupid and like you do like you do (laughs) and cupid decided to take his revenge out on apollo by enchanting two arrows one with lead and one with gold and he sent the arrows out and the one with lead hit daphne who was a nymph and very beautiful and virginal And this woman who never wanted to marry or have children, but just stay pure and chaste her entire life. So the lead arrow hit her, and it made her absolutely loathe Apollo. And the gold arrow ended up hitting Apollo, and he became overcome with love and lust for Daphne. And he said, It's a little awkward, and it's about to get a lot more awkward.
2: Did they just have to go, like, get. Eaten by a titan and regurgitated and stuff?
1: <laughs> no, no, no regurgitation of this episode in okay. this story, unfortunately. But Apollo sets out after Daphne and he's trying to capture her, and they're literally like running away from she's literally running away from him. And she calls out to her father for help and protection, and he decides that the best way to deal with this is to turn her into a tree. <laughs> So, probably the most famous piece of artwork of Daphne and Apollo, which you can see at the show notes, is her turning into a tree, reaching out, and the the bark starts growing up her legs and turning her hard, and he's just about to reach for her and just misses her by a hair. And the tree he turned her into was the laurel tree. And so, in honor of this he decides that he is always going to wear a laurel wreath in his hair. And so this is why whenever you see depictions of Apollo, he is usually wearing his laurel wreath and why if you become a champion of Apollo, you get crowned with a laurel wreath. Wow! So that's what I think that mural is.
2: He's a
0: jerk. It reminds me a little bit, and they're mentioning this in the chat right now, of Merlin and Nimue. One of the first times that we saw Nimue... In the flashbacks, she was wearing a little wreath on her head. And then, of course, Merlin was turned into a tree.
1: There you go.
2: People turning into trees. I say it's not a good solution.
1: Turning into a tree?
2: Yes. Turning into a tree, turning someone else into a tree. It's just got people barking up all the wrong ones. Mm.
1: Ha, ha, ha. Well, Mm. keep it in mind because when we get to present day, there's actually a lesser-known... Roman version of this story that I think they're playing with when we see um, a certain piece of vegetation.
0: Uh Now, we got to see a book that Belle loves, and that's her handsome hero, what this episode is named after. And in this scene, she mentioned that it was this book that made her fall in love with reading books, and her mother gave the book to her. And that's true. Go back to the episode Family Business. From season four, and that's the episode where the ogre breaks into the library and kills the mother, leaves Bell there. But Bell had to go back and grab the book before the ogre broke in. Bell was looking for her favorite book, and oh. it was her handsome hero. And that's not the first time we saw that book, actually. Oh. The first time, and special thanks to Rain for giving us this feedback, the first time we saw that book was way back in the episode Skin Deep in season one. Now that you know what the book looks like, it's much easier to recognize. And we'll have these show notes and we'll have these screenshots in the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 241. But it's at the very beginning of the episode, Screen screen Deep. (laughs) Beauty on the internet is only Screen Deep.
2: Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Wow.
0: It's at the beginning of the episode, Skin Deep, when all of Belle's kingdom is around the table and they're looking at the map and they're saying the ogres have broken through and all of that stuff. You see Belle. Help,
2: help, we're dying. Can you save us? (laughs) Exactly. It's that scene.
0: (laughs) But at the very beginning, it's very quick. You see Belle standing by the table holding a book in her arms. Ah. And it's her handsome hero. We couldn't read it back then, but now that you know what it looks like, it's easy to go back and look at that screenshot and recognize that, yeah, that looks like it's the same book.
2: So we saw her with the book at least two times after she gave it to Gaston. I suppose he was present. Oh, dear.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's right. (laughs) I was going to bring this up um, because she gives him the book, but then she goes to rescue it from the library before the ogre eats her mother, and then she's got it in the War Council room in Skin Deep. And yep. if you've ever read Jane Espenson's original script of Skin Deep, which was auctioned off a couple years ago, and we've actually got the full PDF file of this thing, Jane actually sat down and wrote out what book Belle is holding, why it's important to her. Um, there's actually some scenes that got deleted when they shot the episode of... Bell and Rumble interacting over this book.
2: Huh. Do those reasons for caring about the book match what we saw in this episode?
1: Yeah, it's a story about heroism. It's where Bell gets her ideas about heroism. I think that has remained the same. It's just there might be a missing scene where she takes the book back from Gaston, or he gives it back to her because she's obviously not in love with him by the time this episode ends.
0: Or maybe it's something that she keeps going to different places and buying the book just over and over. (laughs) That in addition to a copy of Catcher in the Rye.
1: (laughs) Well, in the Disney movie, the opening sequence, Belle's song, she goes to the bookshop and she takes the book and, you know, this one. But you've read it already. Oh, but it's my favorite. And he, you know, the bookshop owner just gives it to her eventually.
2: Yeah, that's true. So I guess... I would fill that in by saying that he read it twice if he's good for his word in any way. And then he gave it back to her because it meant so much to her.
0: And that, she should have married him just for that because how many people give back the books they borrow?
2: That's true. And he he (laughs) said he was going to read every word twice. And where I was watching, there was some question as to whether that meant the whole book through twice or he was going to just repeat every word as he went through (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> but speaking of books there was a nice book that i think we'd all love a copy of that complete guide to every magical item in the kingdom
2: yes
1: i would like to know the title of this book because i'm wondering if the word MacGuffin is anywhere in it
0: <laughs> no the the title do you actually have the title <laughs> Yeah, well they mentioned it in the episode oh and the title is an alphabetized inventory of magical antiquities in other
2: words Yeah, every MacGuffin. It's actually a Harry Potter book.
0: (laughs) So, from this book, they learn about the mirror of souls that lets them see into your soul. And this mirror actually does do that. And this is an extremely helpful thing. Like, why wouldn't a king keep this in his possession for any negotiations?
2: Or get a compact size for surreptitiously (laughs) viewing the other person's eyes while pretending to powder his nose. (laughs) Yeah, that could be kind of awkward for a king. Yeah, but he's a king. He can make that a thing. It's Like, yes, kings powder their noses. Just look toward me while I turn my back to you and look in this mirror.
1: (laughs) Okay, where exactly was this mirror being kept? Because... The super convenient plot device was being kept in a super convenient location that Bell could apparently ride out, get it in less than a day without anyone <laughs> causing a fuss, and bring it back to yep. test an ogre.
2: Your questions are pointless.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: Yeah, It's not the only time you'll hear that quotation in this episode. <laughs> but they do find guest on probably genuinely knocked out not faking sleeping because i'm guessing oh yeah probably yeah the ogre tried to escape and in the process knocked Gaston on out
2: he's a rat
0: yeah
1: or a vegetable <laughs>
2: <laughs> so he's already lying and i thought <laughs> i thought bell's father's words to them were kind of interesting he says you two have had an interesting first day first day of what First day of knowing each other. Yeah. At first, I thought you said first date, which I don't even know if they'd use that word. A date. Even though they did say. They did talk about date. date. But (laughs) I thought that was strange too. And while in retrospect, I do. Uh, So yeah, I think um, that was kind of odd phrasing. Interesting first day. It's the first day of the rest of their lives, I guess.
1: I thought it was interesting that Maurice thought Belle gets her idealism from her mother because it seems to be that bell gets her idealism from the book which was given to her by her mother so in a roundabout way it is from her mother
0: and it did seem like bell's mother was her hero yeah. and so she probably learned a lot from her other than just the love of the books and what that particular book taught when they start chasing down the ogre and uh, catch up to him I'm wondering if this whole thing, this whole incident with the ogre, is what set up the situation for what happens in Skin Deep. And it, it's what starts the war. And Bell even kind of threw that idea out in a little bit later. But I'm thinking that it's it's one of those things that it's the conflict of information. There's, on one hand, the ogre might go back and say, they called me names and hit me on the head and we should go get them. But then on the other side, the ogre might say, but there was this woman who was kind, and she saved me, and she let me go.
2: But the rest of them were monsters. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. So there could be some connection there, and in fact, Leslie suggested a connection. She said, as the flashback events take place prior to the start of the ogre wars... Could we now have an explanation as to why Belle was the sole survivor of the ogre attack we saw in the episode Family Business, which was during the Frozen arc? Her kindness was repaid.
2: It's possible. I feel like that kindness should probably have extended to her mother. I never, they haven't shown ogres very often, but they don't seem to have a great deal of intelligence. They usually have a great deal less expression and more size, So this was kind of an odd ogre in my mind. In fact, he was so expressive, and this I do not mean as any kind of a slam on Emily Duravin, (laughs) because it means nothing about how she looked. But there were times where she would make an expression, and I thought it was very similar to expressions that were on the ogre's face. (laughs) (laughs) Not to say they looked the same, but somehow... It's just she was very expressive and he was very expressive and they just looked like they could be related somehow, but not in a she looks like an ogre way.
0: That's <laughs> a production trick, actually. The more you can humanize someone, the more you'll feel friendly toward them. Right. So the more they can make the ogre look and have the same expressions as Belle would have or as you and I would have. And even down to the, like the shape of the eyes and things, mm-hmm. um, the more then we'll feel like we can connect emotionally with them and realize, oh, this is another being that has feelings and a family and it's hurt and it's scared.
2: Right. And I I get that it was supposed to be young, but she said it's barely full grown. From what I could tell, they're supposed to be about four times that size at least. So was it very young or was it just um, one of his parents were of the MacGuffin race? But the big thing, not big thing, but the cool thing I noticed in this scene was that Gaston's red eyes actually were visible in the mirror before it shattered just for a second. Yeah. We got
0: a great screenshot of that in the show notes at com slash 241. It is right there. And I saw that the first time we watched the episode and At first, I thought, oh, it was the ogre's eyes. But then I realized, no, the mirror was facing the other way. And then that's the way the direction the story went anyway.
2: That's the kind of thing where if they were playing a longer game with some of the characters, I would love for a character whose motives were in question. I'd love for there to be a scene like that. But we don't find out their true intentions for sure until episodes later. Mm -hmm. And then on rewatching or if somebody was watching closely, you find, hey, you could see this. Yeah. Which is why I definitely want to know those hidden spoilers that are in this episode. Because they're in the episode. We'll get to them shortly.
0: (laughs) When they go back to the barn, uh, the conversation does make it sound like this incident, not necessarily Belle herself, but just this incident. The whole thing that happened with the ogre is what caused the war. Or at least caused the war to go this
2: direction. They both assume that the ogre and this incident were what caused the war, but for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And Maurice was pretty fired up until Bell supposed that maybe the mistreatment was the cause for the war. And then he just sat down and said, the reasons no longer matter.
1: Yeah. And I kind of think that speaks to something that's going on in the episode as a whole, which is, is there a right and a wrong really in any kind of situation? You know, who really caused the Ogres war? Was it Belle because she let this ogre go back who had been mistreated? Or really, was it, you know, the ogres and their society and and how they view humans? Or does it go back even further than that? There was a lot of non-black, non-white worldview in this episode. So, you know, Belle does make a really good point that the reasons are probably more complicated than we actually know.
2: Yeah. The, the ogre version of this episode, he's basically the ogre equivalent of Bell, and he's trying to convince his people not to attack the humans, and he goes in search of good humans. And he still doesn't want them to attack, but he goes back all beaten up, and they're like, yeah, we're doing this. They were coming anyway.
0: There was an interesting note in the conversation that Bell, if this marriage had gone through, Belle would be sovereign over a land far greater than has ever
2: existed, which is... Once upon a time, and there's superlatives. Yeah, yeah Maybe well, that's yeah. just how people spoke in the Enchanted Forest.
1: I don't get how. Neither of them are a prince or a princess, because he's the son of a lord, and she's the daughter of Sir Maurice.
0: And in the episode, they do refer to the kingdom, and his kingdom... Does that mean he's a king? I don't really think so. We never see him wearing a crown. So maybe as we theorized way back in the episode Skin Deep, he was probably a duke or a lord or something like that, some more regional ruler that has his own kind of kingdom, but he's not a king. He's the ruler of it.
1: And how can it be a land far greater when with every passing season, it seems like there are more kingdoms stacked upon one another in the Enchanted Forest.
0: (laughs) I wonder if it was not necessarily a description of the size of the land or something, but like how great Mm -hmm. it would be to say like, oh, we're going to make
2: Enchanted Forest great again and that kind of thing. It's not even the whole Enchanted Forest. It's like, it's just delusions of grandeur. He's just speaking kingdom-ish lines because he's kind of like, what he's really saying is, "Bell." I know this is still kind of awkward, even though we've met once, and we kind of did it to you again. And I'm already at the door when your dad's giving you this news. And I know you saw my eyes glow red with evil in an enchanted mirror a little while ago, and I totally lied to you, but you should be my queen. And I return books that I borrow. <laughs> I return books that I borrow after I've read every word two times in a row.
0: But Belle has this characteristic that she's often been willing to sacrifice her own wishes for the greater good. And we've seen that in several episodes. It's not only this one, and it's not only this season, but way back to season one, we've seen that characteristic Mm -hmm. in Belle. And even with Beauty and the Beast, how that's the way that she rescues her father, is she says, I'll take his place. Right. And uh, that characteristic is great to see in her, and that's what then connected... This horrible instant to skin deep
2: right really that was what i thought the first time i saw this is she did it at least twice she agreed to change her entire life for the good of the people and when she looked at him she even kind of got this expression where she wasn't even going to be miserable in it It it's like she stopped and chose to see the best in him despite what had happened
0: yeah And you know who sees the best in us, despite what happens with the podcast sometimes? (laughs) (laughs) It is our wonderful heroes. So for this episode, I want to thank you for supporting this podcast, specifically Lisa Slack, David Newland, Amy Catelier, Rose Mason. She's a new hero to the podcast. Megan Martin is a, I'm going to call her a promoted hero. You can promote yourself. Megan increased her support amount for the podcast. So Megan special Ori. thanks. <laughs> I wish, but no, <laughs> Megan Martin, who's probably actually much cooler than I'm Megan sure. Ori.
2: The greatest Megan there ever was.
0: And also Talia Roth, I hope I pronounced that correctly, uh, is also a new hero. So we're now up to 30 heroes on Patreon. Thank you very much for supporting the podcast. We could not do this without you. It. There are things that we've had to pay for with the podcast that we've been able to thanks to your support. Like even Jacqueline's being part of the podcast is made possible with your help. Because She
2: demands a lot of
0: money. <laughs> it's, it's thanks to your support that we were able to buy a microphone for Jacqueline so that she could be <laughs> on the podcast with us. And there are other ways that we're able to make the podcast keep going and make it better thanks to your kind support. So big thanks for supporting this podcast. If you would like to be a hero to the podcast, too, with not red glowing eyes, but you are tr- a true hero who stands up for the right and who supports the podcast – then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. And by the way, over there, what we're now doing is when you support us through Patreon, you get access to a bunch of bonus things. And the most fun bonus thing, I think this is maybe the main selling point, is you get our bloopers. And (laughs) they are a lot of fun sometimes because we can mess up horribly sometimes i know i can royally. mess up
2: <laughs> royally it's the greatest yes. blooper kingdom that ever was
0: <laughs> <laughs> so if you would like to enjoy those bloopers and laugh at us all laughing comes at a price and <laughs> yours has already been paid oh. so if you'd like to laugh at us with our bloopers then please become a hero by going to oncepodcast.com/hero and if you're already a hero to the podcast make sure you log in to your patreon account so that you get access to those blooper clips because they're not available on the public side. You have to log into Patreon to listen to those. And they're a lot of fun. So that's at oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. The other way that you can really help the podcast is share it with your friends. Go to oncepodcast.com slash 241, the show notes for this episode, and click those sharing buttons to share it with all of your friends and family, Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus, Pinterest, Reddit, all of that and more. In the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 241. Let's move on to talking about present day Underbrook. It starts out with Bell visiting Rumpel in his shop. And he's got this cauldron there that I guess is a permanent thing that he's always brewing. His shop something. of
2: horrors. <laughs>
0: yeah. Especially in the underworld. Yeah. But they referenced the idea of rumple possibly being the one to wield the power of the dark one for good Now, i went back to the episode episode seven the power of of the
2: dagger specifically yes
0: power of the dagger now in episode seven of season five nimoway they didn't say the power of the dagger here's the conversation between merlin and emma
2: is it possible for someone to have the darkness, but use it for good. Use it to protect people.
3: Emma, don't let those thoughts tempt you. Is it true? Someday, perhaps, there will be a person who's worthy to hold that much power and not let it burn through to darken their soul. But if we can wipe out the darkness, we'll never have to ask that much of anyone.
0: So now it looks like they're setting up Rumple to possibly be that person Who could do that (sighs) i'm not sure how i feel about that
2: i feel that his character was once resolved and now should probably stay in the underworld so somebody else can leave that's how i feel about Mm. it um maybe i am at least with all that i've said somewhat more comfortable with them saying that it's the power of the dagger because we know the history of the dagger and that is far more in line with what we saw of how it originated as the chalice and how it affected Merlin and things like that. Way more comfortable with that. And actually throughout, as we'll be discussing throughout this episode, I enjoyed Belle's push for no, you're not using darkness for good. You're going to do good. You're going to use light magic.
0: That's not necessarily what he ends up doing, though.
2: It's not, and I don't know where the whole thing's going, but I appreciated her stance. Yeah.
1: I don't know that the show has decided necessarily what magic is, though. I mean, is magic just a force, and it depends on the person wielding it and their intentions, whether it's light or dark? Or do you actually have light magic and dark magic? Because Rumpel will say this later in probably my favorite scene of the episode <laughs> where he's like, Oh, you want me to open this locker? Isn't that using dark magic? And Bell's like, We're not murdering anyone, we're just opening a locker. And yeah. But that I mean, yeah, it's it's almost everyday magic where you open a door. It's fine it's not hurting anybody but the intention behind it is that they need to figure out a way to stop gaston so does that make it dark magic or it it, the show kind of needs to settle into itself and figure out what magic is well
2: that that whole thing actually bothered me a little bit because as he started picking at her for wanting to undo the lock i felt like they were starting to set up A similar argument to Emma's crisis over killing Cruella was like, well, it was so cut and dried unless you're trying to create some sort of a construct to argue about. And even what little they've tried to define about magic in the past has been that there is light magic and there is dark magic. And a lot of it has to do with where the wielder is drawing from. But there are also other factors. So in this case, given what they've said in the past in the show i would say there's light magic that could do it and dark magic that could Mm -hmm. do it and yet he acts like the only thing he can do is dark magic but i was thinking emma could take that lock off yeah and yeah some of that stuff just like anything you do maybe (laughs) in a sense of is it right or wrong that depends on what you're doing and what your motives are but as far as where the power is coming from they seem to have drawn that line in the past
0: And Suri said, Emma said she was cursed with dark magic. So it's the magic that has the good slash bad element, not the person. And speaking of Emma, remember in the Camelot arc, Robin Hood was stabbed with the sword and Emma saved him from that, but she ended up using dark magic for it. And her hand started turning all glistening and crinkly and all dark (laughs) one like after she used that magic. So she was using dark magic to save someone's life.
1: Except, and I, I agree, I totally get what they're saying, but if you go back and you watch that scene, what's coming out of Emma's hands is not dark magic. It is her savior light magic.
0: But it's Rumple or the, the <laughs> vision of Rumple who tempted her to do that mm. and convinced her, you can do this.
1: But then that means that it's coming from the person. It's not... Because she's she's doing something that is good, saving someone's life. The magic that is coming out of her hands is her light savior magic. But it, it's the feeling of power and that rush of adrenaline that makes her turn right. crocodile So
2: there again, that half of that season, or this season rather, totally messing everything else up and possibly should be sealed along with season two.
0: <laughs> well, you look at... Merlin's power and Nimue's power came from the same source. Oh,
2: Except it's essential, never mind.
0: <laughs> Merlin did not turn to the dark side, but Nimue did. Yeah, And it probably does have to do with that, that greed for power.
2: And every time Emma used magic as the dark one or a dark one or whatever, they said, stop using dark magic. You're pushing yourself further to going completely dark.
0: So it's kind of a bit more the person's heart when they get the magic, because look at what happened to hook when he realized he was the dark one. He went all wicked and Emma was battling with the darkness and trying to prevent the darkness from controlling her. So it's, I think it's kind of like the magic is neutral, but when it goes through a person who has evil intentions, the magic is dark magic, but But that
2: doesn't work with Emma
0: or Regina.
1: Or what they're saying in this right. episode about using the darkness for light. They're drawing a pretty distinct line.
2: Regina is a better example of the light versus dark because she seems to be able to do either one. And it was tough for her to get used to doing light magic instead of dark magic. Yeah. But, as Rumple says... Your questions
0: are
1: pointless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but in this case is it? I mean, yes, yes, our questions are probably pointless and I fear that the show isn't going to be in any way shape or form consistent in the next couple weeks. I'm I'm worried that the one thing that, you know, I really appreciated about this episode was that it wasn't just kicking the plot down a few yard lines. It was really a philosophical discussion about whether or not morality is relative. And that's that's kind of cool. I like when TV shows are more than just plot, plot, plot. Yes. But I'm, like, fearful that they set up this really interesting conversation about morality, and then in the next few weeks, they're just going to drop it all. Or they're going to muddy the waters even more with more confusing conversation about light and dark. Or start to
2: latch on to catchphrases, like, accepting who I am, or whatever the other one would be.
1: (laughs) This has been probably the big conversation this week at the forums, whether or not morality is relative. And in the great Rumple versus Bell debate, is there an actual winner and is someone right? So we'll have a link in the show notes to the thread so people can go and read the posts and join in on this conversation. But I think the line a lot of us draw is that, yeah, morality is probably relative because there are no hard rights and no hard wrongs, because everybody has a different perspective. And and we are such nuanced and complex individuals, that even when it comes down to something like murder, like Emma murdering Cruella, a lot of us said, well, it was totally justified because she had to save Henry. But you know, at the end of the day, Emma still ended somebody's life.
2: Yeah, I suppose that's where I would call it. I would say there are nuances to killing. Yeah, I don't think what she did was murder. I mean, she may have had some murder in her heart. <laughs> I'm not saying she didn't, but I think what she actually did was save her son because she didn't know that Cruella couldn't hurt him. I would have probably said 200,000 times at this point, but.
1: <laughs> I think people are kind of agreeing that what Rumpel is saying in this episode, while it's hard to hear because I think as human beings, we do want to believe that there are definite no's and definite yeses in our life. He's probably right. Because he's not giving way in his assertion that the darkness is part of him, that it can be used to protect and save everyone, and simultaneously help give Belle the kind of life they both want. But, you know, I think the problem lies more with with Belle and the fact that she's got to accept the gray area a little bit more. Because she tends to see the world in black and white. A hero is only this. And she lays it out to Gaston in the past. It's compassion and forgiveness, so when a hero doesn't do these things, when Rumple does something dark, it rubs her the wrong way. But I think she's got to see a little bit more of that gray area. And yes, Rumple, you have to stop killing the peasants. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've liked that when they've gone those directions and explored those sorts of things with people like Snow, Emma, some others. But they've set rumple up in the past as the one true superlative the dark one is supposed to be the most dark the most evil yada 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 so it's hard to say to put that in the same category as well emma's made mistakes snow killed cora like stuff has happened and they've dealt with darkness always as a bad thing darkness getting into somebody's heart They've they've just done so many things and it's hard to allegorize Something that they've made so technical with the darkening of hearts and all this stuff. But then to come back and say, ah, the darkness is actually just fine. It literally killed him, but it's just him. So, yeah, I don't know. I would have liked to see a choice between either the technical side of how these things work and the allegory. And maybe some of those topics are better... Left off of the dark one himself, or maybe the dark one should have stopped being a thing when the dark one was destroyed, but you know, but it never was. They could have dealt with some of these topics with Rumple so much more interestingly, without him being the dark one again, in my opinion, but I know everybody's a writer.
1: <laughs> I just don't like if he stays the dark one for the rest of this series, and even if he turns the darkness to light or uses the darkness for good, however they're going to come down on this, is his heart still going to be turning black and becoming that lump of coal that we saw back in season four? And this comes back to Jeremy's point about, like, the technical side of everything, mm-hmm. because you can't just kind of hand wave away what I saw in previous seasons, which was that, despite the fact that Rumple, a lot of times the darkness that he's doing is for a very human, almost sympathetic reason balefire you know it still turned his heart this little shriveled up thing so what does that mean going forward for him
0: i don't know it it's great to see him as the dark one that's a role that i think everyone loves rumple as the dark one with all of that magical power and all of that yeah not being a helpless coward or anything like that i love seeing him as the dark one but is that their plan is to keep him the Dark One for the rest of the series.
2: And see, they may not intend it this way, but what I see is him doing what they've already established as the villain thing. I can have everything. Right. They've already established that they're trying to say the villain cannot have everything. You have to choose others or yourself. He's trying to choose both, and I fear that they're trying to say... Now that's actually fine. Go ahead and do that.
0: And at some point, he's going to get the idea of, oh, you know what would be nice? I'd like to cleave myself from the dagger <laughs> again.
1: <laughs> well, kind of like how Bell needs to learn to see the gray area, the writers need to realize that there's a middle ground. Mm-hmm. Because in between the coward and in between the dark one, you have a mortal man. <laughs> you just have Rumple. With no magic, but having come a long way in his life and having learned some valuable lessons. And honestly, as much as I do like Bobby Carlyle and his acting is phenomenal, as always, when he plays Dark One Rumple, mm-hmm. I think, as a whole, the fandom is pretty tired of him being the Dark One. I know yeah. I am. And that was what I heard so much at the end of last arc was that no one saw this coming and no one wanted it to happen because it's been played out so many times now.
2: And Looking forward to seeing his struggles as just Rumpelstiltskin the man.
1: Yes, exactly. As a human, let him come to terms with being a man again, with never having power and having to live in a world as this new identity.
0: And so, as a father again. And
1: as a father, yeah. I mean, but- that's kind of a circular story. He starts out this show becoming the Dark One for his son. He loses the power of the Dark One, but oh my gosh, he's got another child. Can he learn from his mistakes?
0: What mm. if the way that they end up having to get out is Rumple has to give up his power. That'd be cool. In order to be a father and a husband. And he willingly gives it
2: up. I think that would be cool. Also terrifying would be if somehow... Selena becomes the Dark One, and she and Hades are in love. Oh, that would be <laughs> strange.
1: All right, well, there's there's season six right there. That was crackpot
2: theory, just out of left field. <laughs> hadn't even thought about that one.
1: <laughs> well,
0: Emma has some strange ability here with her dreams. Yes, because she did dream things exactly as they were happening, as they were to happen. That right. is down to the details of what people said and everything. So she was seeing the future. That's a new ability. And one that is not a dark one ability necessarily.
2: And it was either a message or a paradox because she hadn't thought until the dream of trying to burn the names off the tomb- the gravestones.
0: True. So is someone sending her a message? Right.
1: Like Hades? Because I don't think Hades would... Be happy about this, would he? Would he want? I would not think so. No, I mean he wouldn't want to clue in Emma that you could burn the names off the grave. So who?
0: (laughs) Well, can they? Can they burn the names off the grave? Yeah. So why don't they just go back and try that again? Now that they know that there's not some evil monster out there, it's just Ruby. (laughs)
2: Which
0: some people might think is the same thing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she can work at Granny's again. Yes.
0: but they go down into the library after Emma wakes up and hook appropriately comes up with the title squiggly lines just like remember season 2 sparkly dirt
2: yeah but at the- <laughs> sparkly dirt mm. at the same time he's taunting Regina with the squiggly lines thing that's what you've been working on all night i'm like look dude Do you know, like, if ice could even be down here, do you know how thin it would be, what you're skating on right now? You need to not start being a jerk again. We'll just leave you here. That's fine.
1: Completely agree.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing smarting off,
1: Mr. Dead Dark One? This past week, I had a kind of a big debate about Hook's attitude toward Henry in the last episode. And I had this debate with the Dark One Deary. Um, about whether or not we could classify this as bullying and being mean. Because the Dark One Deary was saying, he's just being sarcastic. Maybe it's not the nicest thing in the world to say, but he's not <laughs> bullying. He's not being a jerk. And my personal feelings about Hook aside, I was like, no, no, he's being totally inappropriate because they are in this situation because of him. He needs to try for some gratitude. And then this scene happened. And <laughs> I was just like... Okay, (laughs) this is (laughs) unnecessary. The writers need to kind of learn when a saucy, sassy line is necessary, like Sparkly Dirt. Love that line. That's a great line. (laughs) The squiggly lines, no. (laughs) Like, don't have him say this because he's already easily the most polarizing character out there. Let's not add fuel to that raging fire by have him be incredibly ungrateful for the fact that people are literally there to save him. I think
2: what bothers me is that it was kind of in character for him, but from like a year ago. And just because he wasn't the focus of this episode doesn't mean that he shouldn't, his line shouldn't be sort of in character in the moment. Or, or it just means once a pirate, always a pirate, leave him in the underworld. That might be what I'm going with.
1: (laughs) Jeremy said it, not me.
0: (laughs) Well, let's talk about these squiggly lines. They're runes, uh, which we've seen throughout Once Upon a Time, and they're commonly used and stuff. Like we saw them in the Frozen arc. We saw them in Frozen. They said, speak, friend, and enter. (laughs) And Well, they say a lot more than that. So big thanks to Jack for decoding many of these. And here's something really interesting is she told me, She couldn't give me all of it because there are some spoilers hidden here or some potential spoilers. Mm -hmm. And some of those spoilers might come from the episode names. I might be misquoting this, but Jack was trying to be very vague since I am spoiler free. And she was describing this to me. But I think the way that I understood this is that some of the upcoming episode titles are written in the runes but they're written in ways that kind of give away plot for those upcoming episodes or something Uh. like that. Uh, Now, Jack did a lot of great work here, and uh, I can't include all of this in our podcast, so I want to highlight this and then go to our show notes at onespodcast.com slash 241 to get the full story of this. And Jack may even add more to this than she Is our show notes writer, so she might be expanding this a little bit more. But she does point out the top part with the pentagram directly translates to portal. And then the middle part says, quote, that which is below corresponds to that which is above and that which is above corresponds to that which is below to accomplish the miracle of the one thing, unquote. And Jack continues here. Thus, whatever happens on any level of reality, physical, emotional or mental also happens on every other level.
1: That's really important in religion. Just a quick heads up, that's that's a big religious thing.
0: Yeah, and she also points out there's also a Wiccan meaning to this, which is that the physical reflects the spiritual and vice versa. And her theory on this mm. is she's thinking that maybe whatever happens in the underworld will affect Storybrooke.
2: Uh maybe. That would be kind of strange since things have already happened there that do not affect Storybrooke. I mostly think that sounds like they're headed for a big One Direction concert. (laughs) They're just looking for that one thing.
0: Jack also points out, the other thing I got is So Be It, and that the first line where Regina was seen writing is domus, which is a Latin word for home. So we've got some images that give more of this we've got some links that give some more research on this and also jack has written up some great information here about this like some of the different symbols like the rune of wealth and uh, the rune meaning torch and one that's associated with the god thor and another that means health and strength and um, another that is uh, the rune of ride and journey and much more And then one last thing that she wanted to share is there's also uh, the wolf's angel rune, which she says, quote, is a Norse rune symbol and a device to trap wolves. This symbol has the magical power to ward off werewolves. While it does not belong to any runic tradition, wolf's angel's symbol is similar to the rune awaz, meaning archer's bow, and possesses the power of both death and regeneration. This had me thinking if Ruby's return will lead either to her or someone else's death. So some great research here and great decoding and some potential spoilers too in some of the other runes that are written there on the uh, elevator door.
2: Hmm. So Regina accidentally pulled Ruby to the underworld. (laughs) That's what I'm going to say. Ooh. Ooh.
0: Now, yeah, that could be something.
2: Because <laughs> she was over there working on it. She hadn't activated it, per se, when that happened. Right. Or had she? No, she did.
0: She did. But that doesn't mean it's an instant process. It could be a slow and process. And they opened
2: the door and they're like, huh, that's not the portal we were looking for. That's a brick wall. And then, boom, there was like a twister portal oh, in the underworld and a wolf. That's a good point and it wouldn't exactly be the first time we'd seen someone try to activate a portal and it didn't do what they wanted it to do this season.
0: Hmm, I like that. Yeah, and portal was one of those words that was in the rune, and some other stuff too. Nice theory.
1: I kind of wonder if the uh, as above, so below one is how Hades made the Underworld look like Storybrooke. Because the Underworld is, you know, so below and Storybrooke is as above. So I'm wondering if when he wrote this, he had in mind that it would start to look like Storybrooke and that's how he changed the Underworld. Hmm. That
2: could be. How did they get that much time with the door without him trying to go through? I don't know.
0: I don't think he really even needs to go through that door because he just shows up in different places. And he happens to be stalking Zelina (laughs) when this is happening. That's true. (laughs) poor guy. He has some detachment issues. (laughs) But he does find that little flower that I think is causing a little bit of fear for him. And it seems like when people have hope, that weakens him. And he can't have people leaving. He can't have people having hope because then he loses his power and control over this realm.
1: Isn't that a bit of a contradiction though? Because doesn't he have hope that Zelina will want him and, you know, come home where he's always been waiting? Well, I
2: think it's okay for him to have hope because he's not spreading it around. And so he's not causing people to move on.
0: The baker gets to have as much cookie dough as he or she wants for free. That's essentially the perspective.
2: Ah, yes, yes. Yes. (laughs)
0: Yes. <laughs> he forbids it, but he can have a little bit himself.
2: As long as he's not making cookies for the students at the fat camp. <laughs> this has now become the Hope Fat Camp. Is,
0: Is there any significance, you think, to the flower that it was? A daisy?
1: Well, yeah, I think it was a daisy. So I already talked a little bit about the Apollo and Daphne story. There's another one that Ovid tells in his Metamorphosis which is of Vertumnus and Belides. Now, Vertumnus is a lesser-known god. He's not very well-known, but he is a god heavily associated with gardens, trees, and most importantly, plant transformation, particularly with growth from seed to fruit.
2: That explains why his name sounds like a sneeze.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, he fell in love with a nymph, Belides, and in order to escape this god because of course the god ends up chasing her like they do Bellides <laughs> <laughs> ends up turning herself into a daisy.
2: Oh. oh. Again so, with Hades plant life. Right.
1: <laughs> so I think the it kind of fits with the Daphne and Apollo story that I talked about earlier. Um, but the other thing is this is kind of a weird twist on the Hades and Persephone story that I brought up a couple times now this arc. Where when Persephone comes to the underworld, everything in the world above dies and decays. And now Zelina, who's our Persephone stand-in, comes to the underworld and Hades finds a little flower.
2: Hmm. Oh.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
2: Except that it seems tied to Belle's hope. So, <laughs> Or that's just an overall amount of hope. Or- yeah, I think it's an overall amount it's like people believing in Santa Claus making his sleigh fly. <laughs> people got to just, this is this season is going to end with everybody standing in the middle of Underbrook, hoping their little hearts out. And Santa Claus will show up and rescue <laughs> everyone,
0: <laughs> including all the dead children.
2: <laughs> it's going to dip for a second when they see Santa. They're going to be like, Santa, you're in the underworld. It's like, no, nah, it's good. I came okay. to get to rescue you. ABC staff,
0: no
1: just ignore what we just said please
0: they could have a christmas special that could rival the star wars christmas special the star
1: wars christmas special you mean the one that like is so terrible that it only gets talked about in urban legend
0: that's what i mean by rival (laughs) but hades goes on to visit Gaston, and uh, what a what a twist for Gaston to be looking after animals and he's not allowed to hunt them.
2: Looking after beasts. I think this is the first scene in once upon a time where we've actually seen a toilet.
0: <laughs> I think it's in the specials for season 4 to show a tour of mary margaret's apartment and they do illustrate that the toilet actually works but you never see the toilet yeah
2: you're right the other funny thing about this toilet that you can see in the background in the animal shelter is that the seat is definitely up (laughs) (laughs) and it's also carefully not in the shots in later parts of the show but as rumples walking in and things you can definitely see it in the background and these are the things jeremy notices
1: I'm, yeah, I'm so glad five seasons in, you've noticed stuff like this, because it just makes everything so awesome.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's one of those things that, you know, like back in season one, we're asking questions about like, where does everyone get their food? And one of the questions we should have been asking is, do does everyone need to use the restroom? And apparently so, because yes, there is at least one toilet in Storybird.
2: Now, in the real world, the seat and lid would both have been down but this is the underworld so up <laughs> <laughs> everything decays there
0: uh, and hades is a bit afraid of losing this wonderful world uh, that he's built <laughs> and he describes this thanks to these new arrivals hope has taken root and when souls have hope they move on and
1: I cannot have
2: that. Yeah, so why did he tell all that to Gaston? I think he probably should have said, I want you to kill Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah, you get some revenge and stuff. But if you don't, I'm going to throw you into that worst place.
0: Hades is a classic villain. He monologues to anyone who will listen.
2: Yeah, but he gave Gaston motive to not help him because it's Like, you would think he would take from that more like, huh, so what you're saying is if I don't do this, we could all move on. Hmm. But Gaston's just not that smart. Or that nice.
0: So is hope the way that they're going to defeat Hades? By either getting enough people to move on, or by everyone, well, like, guardians of the galaxy hold hands together with their hope and seen around a Christmas tree and that will make Hades fall down and in defeat
2: and go live on a pirate ship. (laughs) Yes.
1: With all the people he's killed.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Although he pretty successfully applied the we'd be gone of hope to bell. Yeah.
1: But there was a time, right? Like when he first got kicked down to the underworld when he wasn't as concerned with collecting souls because he starts to realize that the more souls stay in the underworld, the more powerful he becomes. So it's not that he's going to be defeated when all these souls get to finish their business and move on. It's just that his power is weakened. So how exactly do you go about defeating the Lord of the Underworld?
2: I think you just connected a couple dots for me because I've been questioning why he wants to make a life in their decay when before he wanted the true love to just break the curse and he'd be free of the underworld but if he hadn't experienced whatever this power is that comes through collecting souls yet that would make sense of this change in direction because like someone else he doesn't want to give up his power
0: yeah i think maybe what could be a tool in defeating him is the arrow that he made, or the collection of arrows.
2: True-ish,
1: if those maybe can how? send
0: the Dark One into eternal torment in the River of Souls. Or basically into the bay.
2: Yeah. Because it's easier than going down into the cave.
0: Could that also send Hades into the same River of Souls?
2: Well, I've been watching this show long enough to feel like that would be a sad ending.
1: You know what? That's how the Disney movie ends. I,
2: Spoiler alert.
1: Sorry. Okay, this just came to me. Daniel said it, and I had the image of the James Wood Hades being thrown into the river Styx. Okay, it's not the river sticks on our show, because they don't care about mythology. But <laughs> that wasn't said with any kind of like bitterness. Um, so, in the movie, though... Hades, like, gets pushed into the river with all the floating souls, and the souls are, like, clawing at him.
0: Ew. Yeah, that's right. There's also— Don't uh, drink that. Since they're bringing in often biblical connections and such, in Revelation, the last chapter, or last book of the Bible, it describes the end times and such. And it says that hell and Satan, the devil, will be thrown into the lake of fire— A kind of similar concept to what we're describing here. So maybe Hades won't get his happy ending. It's not the devil. No. (laughs) They're often conflated.
2: Right.
1: I did like Rumple's, I was doing you a favor when Belle Uh, admonishes him for killing Gaston, which apparently she never knew about.
2: Yeah. And I don't remember. We may have talked about that sometime early on, but it was really early if we ever realized that she didn't know. Mm. Well, we would have talked about it when she was cutting the roses, but beyond that, we well, probably—I didn't realize she never knew.
1: Well, it's kind of one of those things that, because of all the plot in every single season, you kind of miss the characters learning vital information about their significant others. Because, right. like, when did Belle learn about Mila and the fact that Rumple killed her the first time? Right. When did she learn? any of the stuff about Rumple that she apparently knows when she knows just the extent of his darkness.
2: Dinner conversation.
0: I think some of that she learned from Hook because remember Hook broke into her cell. He said some things.
2: He slashed at her throat.
0: Also, um, some stuff that he said back on the Jolly Roger to Belle when Hook was figuring out how to work with a gun. But uh, remember Belle... From the episode Skin Deep all the way to The Curse, Belle was in Rumpelstiltskin's castle except for a few very brief moments where she got to go to the market or was let to go and then she returned.
2: Take a stroll with Regina.
0: Yeah. So it makes sense that she wouldn't know how everything was going back in her kingdom about Gaston, any of that. And then she was taken to Storybrooke. Right. Moved on. Meanwhile, Regina has some sisterly time with her sister. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned stuff in this episode and in previous episodes about hiding baby pistachio. Mm-hmm. Can they really? Because
2: <gasps> Hades... they could turn him into a nice little shrub. <laughs> yeah. Or, is Selena's baby a boy or a girl? Girl. It's a girl. Yeah. Turn her into a shrub. Definitely, then. Like, you turn the girls into plants. That's what you do.
0: <laughs> well, I think that Hades has eyes everywhere. So, we've seen him already discover everyone's secrets. How can he not know where Robin is hiding with
2: baby
1: pistachio? How does he
2: know all these things?
1: Well, he is a god. Yeah. I mean, he he, he is. He's, he's a god. <laughs> <laughs> I...
2: Yeah. Yeah. They are in the underworld. It's kind of silly that they still go to grannies. I mean, we keep I keep forgetting even now, but they're doing all the same things they always do whereas I think you would constantly be like everything is orange. This is the underworld. Let's huddle in a room and figure this stupid thing out and get out of here. This is not okay. This is scary. But no, they sit at diners and they 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 are working but it's kind of slow at least the other catchphrase from this season already has meaning moving on (laughs) they're helping people move on and that means something it's weird in some cases but it means something so i appreciate that
0: i got the impression that Zelina does love hades back because she didn't answer
2: It's so sweet, and I felt sort of bad for her. And then I remembered, yeah, we've been here before. And Hades, she she's like this (laughs) maniacal murderer, and she looks like she could have a good redemption story. But I shouldn't be just flat out feeling bad for her already. We've you know we've we could just sort of copy and paste conversations from like Regina and Rumple and Hook. Yeah, it's great that she might be starting to get back on a better track or onto a better track, maybe starting to fix some of the stuff in her past, but there's a whole lot more than just being sad that she hurt her baby and doing the right thing once that has to happen before I can really be on her side, especially if she's starting to fall back into Hades' clutches and they're going to be like this power couple of the dead or something. And
0: how is she Hades' weakness? We don't even know that for sure. It was just her hypothesizing about it. But how can we use that as a weakness against Hades? Is it like, oh, here's how we're going to defeat Hades. We'll set him up on a date with Zelina and make them fall in love. And that's how we'll conquer Hades.
2: I don't think so. I think the point (laughs) of that conversation was more that she didn't know anything helpful. They could use it a little bit, but I don't think... she meant that as this is i'm genuinely a weakness for him right
0: yeah yeah she's not offering herself as yeah exploit me because i'm his
2: weakness <laughs> why did she smell the dead flower
1: <laughs> it's, it smelled of unhopelessness oh. um well they could i guess with zelena's permission threaten her i mean cuz what what's more important to hades isn't that the big question now what's more important to him his keeping his power and those souls, or Zelina? Like, if they were to threaten Zelina in some way, would he step in and intervene, even if it meant losing all the souls of the underworld?
2: I don't know. Maybe she just has to accept who he is. A keeper of souls that need to move on, and his power.
1: Well, she doesn't seem to be horrified by him. Just kidding. Okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. No. Uh, <laughs> exploiting her, yeah. I can't imagine what the scenario would be where he would have to choose, though, at this point.
1: Can you send a live soul to the worst place?
2: That's a good question. Hmm.
1: I mean, it's still fire, and you're still being engulfed by it. It would still hurt and kill you.
0: And what is the worst place? Is it Mount Doom's? pit or is it the river of souls
2: could be either both i got the impression that anyone who's in the underworld could end up in one of those places Mm.
0: one of the interesting things in the underworld is that we do see regina has her vault there too okay that makes sense but it looks very very different a lot more uh
2: (laughs) what are you all doing in my vault
0: (laughs) but her mirror is in there but it's shattered.
2: That's because Sydney is not in the underworld. No, Sydney
0: <laughs> is in the movie The Jungle Book. And speaking of The Jungle Book, Jenny and I watched it. Uh, at this time, it's not out in theaters yet, but we will have a review of The Jungle Book. So the next episode of our podcast that you'll get will be a review of The Jungle Book and the actor who plays Sydney Glass is also a voice in Disney's new movie, The Jungle Book. And short little spoiler for our review, it's a fun movie and it's, it's got some hilarious moments in it, but we'll talk more mm. about that in our next episode of the podcast. So watch for that, our review uh-huh. of The Jungle Book, since we thought you might be interested in it. When Hades visits Belle in the pet shelter, he makes this deal to her that she refuses and it's very important to remember she refused the deal.
2: <laughs> so that's later... because she married a man who makes deals, so she knows what that means. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think Belle probably could have figured out what the deal meant without being married to Rumple, but you know.
0: <laughs> And what bugs me a little bit is just skipping forward a little bit. <laughs> When Bell then says to Hades that uh, the contract is broken and all of that, Hades points out a technicality of, well, it didn't happen the way I said it had to happen. He could have pointed out to say, you refused the deal instead of pointing out a technicality. I
2: was going to say the same thing, but didn't she, how did this scene end? She refused And then he said something and she says, I'm listening. Did she end up accepting in the end? She flat out refused, right? His last
0: words to her were, I bet with your child on the line, you are capable of anything.
2: Yeah, so I don't know why they would have expected him to honor a deal that she just said, not a chance in your place, Hades.
3: Yeah.
1: (laughs) He was kind of creepy in this scene. Very creepy. Like, I've really, really, really been enjoying Greg German's. Performance this season, um, but this scene was just so creepy. Like when he touched her belly, and he's like, "The baby in your belly." I was like, "Okay, <laughs> this is <laughs> a little creepy."
0: The but- thing I want most in the world right now is for you to get
2: your hand <laughs> off me. <The> th- <laughs> yes, and people, you, you, everyone, everywhere needs to know this: a baby on the inside does not entitle you to touching the outside. <laughs> It's still somebody's stomach. Yeah. You Now you can tell people if they do this, don't be like Hades. Keep your hands off. It's creepy whenever anybody does it. Unless they have permission.
0: Back in Regina's vault, I think everybody loved Emma's line, I don't have any issues.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I even made an animated GIF of this and shared it out on Twitter and uh, Uh, some of our different other social presences. So you can see that twitter.com slash ones podcast. Feel free to share that.
1: Yeah. Emma, you know, walls, Swan. She doesn't have any issues whatsoever. Okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Emma walls, Swan. (laughs) I liked snow's recap for Regina of what was going on thing with things trying to kill us. Mm -hmm. Although it seems like you would probably want to explain to somebody like Regina Emma kind of saw this whole thing in a dream. What do you think that means? Since Regina is the pontificator of magical knowledge.
0: And is this an ability she can use
2: again in the future?
1: If the plot needs her to, yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's
2: a new plot device, yep. We may have an explanation forthcoming. Hopefully we do. But it could be an interesting plot device. If it's a new plot device... I'm actually okay with it because it could they could do some interesting things with that.
0: Yeah, it's. I could see her having this ability. Look at it this way: the only three people we've known who could see the future are number one, Merlin; number two, that freaky girl with the eyes on her uh-huh. fingers, freaky girl, or uh, the palms of her hands, uh-huh. the seer; and number three, Rumple. So, where did Merlin get the ability? Um, the seer gave her ability to Rumple. So, Rumple had that ability. And then Emma maybe now has the ability. So, maybe what happened residual
2: dark oneness?
0: Yeah. Maybe <laughs> since Emma became the dark one when the darkness was pulled out of Rumple, maybe she also inherited that ability with it. Interesting. So that could make some sense, then, that she has the ability to see the future. It's
2: Yeah, it's a pretty simple explanation, and it's way better than a vial of magic. So it could work. That could be it. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it makes some sense. You do have modern heroes who can kind of either see into the future or see what's going on with the villains at present. They sort of have this prescience ability. Um I think Buffy has a couple visions at some point and Harry and Voldemort share visions of each other because they are so closely linked. So I don't know if it's because Emma is the savior and she's sort of getting these extra powers being in the underworld and being up against her antithesis, which is this force of chaos and destruction and the lord of the underworld. But it it makes sense that she would have it to some degree. It just kind of came out of the blue, which was my big issue with it. It did. The reason why we kept laughing about, I don't have any issues, was because Emma's feeling pretty guilty over the fact that she dragged everybody to the underworld (laughs) to save her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, Snow and Regina and Hook all try and prop her up and Molly coddle her, which I didn't fully appreciate. I completely agree that Emma didn't force anybody to do this, and in fact, in the fall finale swan song she even says you guys don't need to do this with me you don't need to go and they insisted which is fine but it was a bad plan they kind of went in half cocked just saying oh we're just going to go in and we're going to get hooked and i'm going to split my heart because i'm choosing love and it's going to be so awesome guys
3: <laughs> but kept
1: going it's a good plan <laughs> right like but nobody bothers to say this was a terrible plan you have no <laughs> idea what you're up against we're, you know, are we not going to sit and talk about maybe whether or not the hook deserves this? I mean, maybe that's a conversation we should have. And then, you know, once they get there, they're kind of just flying blind. And Emma's suddenly like, I'm feeling really guilty. And instead of actually acknowledging that maybe this wasn't the best plan, mm-hmm. and having Emma grow as a character, and that she can't fly off the handle just because her man that she's dating was threatened or harmed or killed (laughs) kind of like regina back in season one Hmm, because that ended well
2: you know so so snow maybe should have said emma the men you love die all the time you can't come down to the underworld every time
1: Right, you know, and Regina could have been like, you're right, this was bad, because I lost the man I loved, and I ended up cursing an entire realm for 28 years, and Hook could be like, you're right, I lost the woman I love, and I ended up seeking revenge on an immortal imp for 100 years somewhere someone needed to say you're right emma swan this was a terrible terrible choice we're proud that you've chosen love and you've opened up your heart and maybe your walls are gone but this was a bad plan and now we're stuck here thanks huh I'm good now. Thanks. (laughs) Did the vault have all of the hearts? Because there was a certain amount of red glow in the vault. And I don't mean like the the underworld red tint. I mean like actual Mm. magical Mm. heart glowiness.
0: There were skulls all Uh, over the place.
1: There were?
0: Yeah. You didn't notice that? No. (laughs) Oh, yeah. All in the shelves where there used to be the heart boxes and other things and magical items. It was skulls all over the place.
1: All right. Really like
0: Halloween looking. Meanwhile, up on the surface, Bell and Rumpel are having this conversation when he says something that I think irritates probably everyone watching the show. Bell, you can trust me. No. Nope. So totally nope. In fact, I edited together what he said in this conversation. Oh. And this is what he actually meant to say. Bell, you can
2: trust me. Just, not today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh Oh
2: my goodness. That's great.
1: Nope. Just so much nope. All of the nope. Like, when he said that line, I just, for a second, I just looked away from the television because I was like, here it comes. They're going to do something bad to this couple again. (laughs) Because you just knew. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: oh goodness why the words why are those words there you can trust me
0: and then he he... immediately turns around and proves that she can't trust him
1: yeah after she trusts him and says okay fine i'll trust you but you have to promise me you're not gonna do anything and he's like okay honey and then he's like oh (laughs) whoops i had my fingers crossed
2: plus there again There's one of those weird little constructs that just annoy me so much. He's like, I I know deals. You need to tell me exactly what the deal was. I mean, it's plain. They're plain words. You don't have to be Rumpelstiltskin to understand a deal. Stop this.
0: (laughs) So he proves that he can't be trusted and he goes and is dangling Gaston by the edge of the dock. And um, I loved the scene, but
2: probably not for the right reason.
0: Yeah, there's. There, I have conflicting feelings about the scene. Belle goes up to Rumpel and says that she loves him and she's done so because she has always known who he really is.
2: Now, do you think she was being genuine?
1: No, because... Her next step, when she realizes that Rumple isn't listening, is to kiss him and steal the dagger so that she can command him. All of this is, like, one big deception.
2: Hmm. Which, if that's Belle's version of going gray, I kind of liked it.
0: Well, she was trying to save someone's life. Yeah.
2: And it was Someone beating him at his own game. Trying to save someone's dead life. <laughs> right. <laughs> trying to save him from as Hades put it, eternal torment rather than moving on. Mm -hmm.
1: It proves Rumpel's point from the beginning of this episode that in the heat of the moment, the only thing that matters is protecting those you care about. And I don't think that she's necessarily protecting Gaston because she cares about him. I think she might be protecting Rumpel in the sense that she doesn't want him to do something that will, again, blacken his heart.
2: And
0: I think that Belle was more protecting the idea of hope And not necessarily Gaston, but that if we save Gaston and help him to move on and we restore hope here, then we're weakening Hades and thus we can defeat him. But we need all of these people. We need to save all of these people.
2: Yeah, she might have been looking at the bigger picture, but she's very focused on individuals, too. I think she legitimately just... Probably both. She didn't want Rumpel to do this and she didn't want him to do it to Gaston in particular.
1: But the ending takeaway for her is really depressing.
2: And I, again, didn't like it. I mean, it was a complete accident because Mm -hmm. Gaston turned around and he was bent on a form of murder. Something worse than murder, actually. I mean, what? She didn't do anything wrong. She was still just protecting people and she didn't intend for him to fall in. Right. So I don't see, once again, how this constitutes having done harm to somebody on purpose in a way that is darkness winning or which I mean, maybe that's not what she meant. Maybe she means Hades got his way and that's darkness winning.
0: And I think Hades maybe, in a sense, foresaw all of this or this was his plan Mm. is to do something that would kill the hope.
2: Mm.
1: Well, yeah, but Belle doesn't know that. I mean, going back to what Jeremy just said a second ago, that, you know, maybe Belle, when she says this, darkness will always win, she just means Hades got his way. But that's not her reaction right afterwards, because she thinks that, well, at least I've protected my baby. So when she says darkness will always win, she really means darkness, capital D, cosmic darkness will always win
0: Mm -hmm. They could have taken this opportunity when hades was bending down over near the water to just (laughs) push him
2: in he'd have well whatever that is he does (sighs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. and he'd have been gone he said imbued it's a good once upon a time word the (laughs) flower was imbued with hopelessness
0: his favorite scent. So he's going to come out with a cologne collection. <laughs> it will be Hopelessness by Hades. <laughs> Andrea sent in this thought saying, I think that the flower decayed at the docks wasn't because of the hopelessness of Bell doing a dark deed, that is pushing Gaston into the sea, but it was the hopelessness of both Bell and Rumpel together over the fact that Hades still had their child. And it's that hopelessness that caused the decay. Notice how both Belle and Rumple had their arms around each other as the flower turned black. It was to show their combined sorrow or hopelessness that they both felt.
1: Mm.
0: So does every flower represent one person's hope or hopelessness?
2: I hope it doesn't get that technical, but it might. I find it interesting that Rumpel's saying, I never wanted this for you. But if she is to accept him this way, And be with him, her life is going to constantly be touched by this, just like Balefire's was. In such a way that Blue even knew just by meeting him. Yeah. So how can he think that he can have everything without Belle getting hurt?
0: I really think he can't. He's going to have to sacrifice something.
1: Going with what Daniel just said, Price of Magic... Send in some feedback that although Rumple seems pleased that Belle is seeing things his way, he doesn't want her to be like him. I think things are going to start happening where Rumple will see that Belle is being corrupted by the darkness. He'll have to make a decision whether to stay as he is and let Belle be dragged down to his level or whether to pull himself up and become good.
2: Ah, interesting. Mm. He is kind of doing to Belle this episode what Head Rumple was doing to Emma yeah. in the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. Less maniacally, of course. Less laughter. Hmm.
0: And Hades is back to still trying to woo Zelina with his gift that represents it's our decay. Look at this beautiful decaying dead flower. It's ours.
2: And you know he was like lurking in an alley watching her through the window, too, which just makes it even better.
0: Yeah. You look very pretty in that hat. <laughs>
2: Here, have a dead
0: flower. <laughs> Seriously, though, normally this kind of a gift would be an insult to someone. You gave me a dead, burned-up flower. Like
2: you don't touch it too much more, and you give it to the police. <laughs> even this is even borderline sadistic. <laughs> but Zelena's just
0: all like. Oh,
1: he loves me. <laughs> and yet, both Jeremy and I wrote all <laughs> in our notes for tonight.
2: <laughs> That's hilarious. I yes, mean, we did. Yeah,
1: the sadistic stalker thing should rub me the wrong way because I'm constantly on my feminist box. But like, <laughs> I was like, oh, she loves him too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Before we talk about this last part of the episode, I want to thank someone who left a kind review for us in iTunes. Josh Lason from the Philippines wrote a review for us. See, we get all of the reviews from all of the countries. So if you've ever been thinking, oh, if I write a review in my other country where I'm from and they won't see it because they're in the United States. No, that's not the case because I created this service called My Podcast Reviews that gets all of these reviews from all of the global iTunes stores and sends it to us. So Josh Lason from Philippines said, detailed analysis. This is my go-to podcast after watching every episode because I prefer their objective approach in discussing the show. Thank you very much, josh for that kind review it's really encouraging to us to see that and it helps other people choose our podcast as well so we appreciate those reviews and if you'd like to write a review for the podcast then please go to oncepodcast.com and click on the itunes stitcher or eventually google play icons there to write a review for the podcast and we'd really appreciate it so let's talk about this last thing what the tornado dragged in (laughs) What was literally dropped into this episode of Once Upon a Time. Ruby, who just so conveniently had her red cloak somewhere nearby.
2: Who in one version of events might have killed Snow. Ruby, who now has supersonic speed.
1: Who can't control her wolf ability, apparently.
2: And whose wolf ability comes out
0: in the night. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the underworld is just kind of like a permanent night, even though it's daylight and... I don't
2: know. Werewolfing works differently here. Yeah. It's a little unpredictable. <laughs> <laughs> I had to laugh. Maybe I need to rewatch the scene. But when Ruby was, well, the wolf was running through the woods super fast. And like the three women shot at her with their various weapons. Two magic, one arrow. It looked for anything. Like Snow just shot her arrow straight in the air.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and I don't know how she thought she was going to hit the wolf anyway. Thankfully... It appears that Emma's dreams can be changed. Just because she dreams something doesn't mean it has to happen. Right. Or will happen inevitably. And then the question that's on everybody's minds. Where did Ruby's cloak come from? <laughs> was she running around with it in her teeth? Or running around looking for it? Or was Snow carrying it? They or just happened to shoot her, thankfully with the magic and not the arrow, right where it was in the woods? Yeah, that's...
0: You know, as much as I'll defend the show sometimes and explain things by saying, oh, it's probably a deleted scene or (laughs) this is how it could have worked. I have no idea on this
2: one how this could have worked. They found her and then there was a whole episode that they cut out where they were like, uh, I'll stay here. You guys go to this place. The cloak's probably there. And then they get there and they have to fight somebody who won't let them have it. Some (laughs) character that's dead and forgotten. And finally they get the cloak and they come back
0: so the bigger question really is why is ruby there and how did she get there
2: which i'm really interested to see if the runes had anything to do with it now
1: well i do think you're right that the cyclone brought her yeah yeah but cyclones seem to be one particular realm of magic so you don't see cyclones without it being somehow linked to oz yeah. Zelina got picked up by a cyclone and taken to Oz as a baby. She later got picked up in Storybrooke by a cyclone and taken back to Oz. So I think it's a safe assumption.
0: But they did also use the cyclone to take Granny's diner to Camelot.
2: Oh, that's true. Same Aww.
1: That's yeah. unfortunate. That ruins everything. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So she might have been summoned, okay, so maybe she doesn't have a purpose in being there, but she has a purpose for the show Right, in being there.
2: She didn't come there on purpose,
0: perhaps. So why is that? Why do they need Ruby, the wolf, for the show? Is it, is it something as simple as, oh, Megan Ory was available, so let's bring her back onto the show for a couple episodes? Which, I mean, it's great to see her back on the show. Yes, she's been there since season one she was uh, regular quotation marks around that for season two Mm -hmm. and then moved on to other things and has been back and forth Mm -hmm. here and there so it's great to have her back on the show I'm sure Jeff Roney is very excited about that
2: Storybrooke's kind of her underworld she has unfinished business so she hasn't completely moved on
0: talking about a dog and saying unfinished business (laughs) (laughs) just kind of means something else in my mind (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So Jacqueline is being noticeably silent. And that's probably (laughs) because she knows. Uh, And Uh, there will be spoilers after our music and we close the podcast out. So you'll get to hear Jacqueline and Hunter talk about some of the stuff that we know is coming up for the upcoming episodes. Or rather, that they know is coming up for the upcoming episodes since they know some of those spoilers. But I think... Just because the last part of this episode was we get to see Ruby, and for some reason, Ruby's not waking up. And I think Ruby just nailed the acting there.
2: <laughs> oh,
1: gosh. <laughs> said,
0: we want you to come in for this one thing. We want you to just take a nap. Wasn't she
2: scary as the wolf? <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she was. So I think because they dropped her in, literally, at the end of this episode, the next episode is going to focus on why she's there and what she contributes to the plot that could be last we knew ruby went with mulan on a little adventure or a big adventure as they were both going to discover who they really were and all of this stuff and and uh, off on a secret mission maybe but where did that take them and
2: apparently it took ruby over a cliff or something
0: (laughs) and how is that relevant here now i could see maybe mulan and ruby traveled many different realms and had many adventures and fought many fights together and all kinds of stuff and so ruby could have been potentially anywhere when the cyclone grabbed her and brought her to the underworld
2: well i guess i know the answer to the question i was going to ask which is do you think that Ruby's dead.
0: I don't think so. I
2: guess most people don't arrive in the underworld via cyclone, probably. Right. So maybe she's not.
0: We don't know what it looks like when someone arrives in the underworld because they're dead. We just see everyone's been there. Or they arrive and they're still living. Mm-hmm. So the the value of the breath of a living person is going down because the supply is increasing. So sorry, blind witch. Better <laughs> sell that breath. So you can get the highest value.
2: (laughs) But they've never had the breath of a werewolf before,
0: living or dead. That's a good point. So there's there's going to be something interesting, no doubt, to explain this. And that will be in the next episode. And our schedule is going to be a little bit different for next week with our episodes. And we're still trying to work out the, the finer details. We know we'll at least bring you an initial reactions episode. And that might be a little bit later on Sunday night than usual, but go over to com slash live to see. It might be just a few minutes later than usual, but you'll see the countdown there and people will be in the chat room to let you know when it's starting. And it's going to be the first episode of Ones Podcast.
2: With a toilet. <laughs>
0: Yes. And without me.
1: Dun, dun, dun.
0: So this is going to be cool. So I don't want to see comments like, oh, the hosts are horrible without Daniel or anything like that. <laughs> I think this could be really awesome because it will be Aaron and Jeremy hosting the podcast together. So it'll be really cool. And if nothing else, maybe we'll get some really good bloopers out of it for our heroes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) If nothing else, there better be something else. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm sure they'll do
0: a great job. Uh, The live schedule and what you get in the live experience might be a little bit different on that day. And I don't know yet what our schedule will be for a full discussion. If we'll even get to do a full discussion episode that week, we'd love to because we've done a full discussion about every episode.
2: But, I think we'll get it in there somehow, yeah, somewhere.
0: It might be a bit late. We might have to mix it in oddly in the order of our podcast episodes. You might get it on the day that the next episode of Once Upon a Time airs. But we do still want to try and get that full discussion episode out to you. We just don't know when that will be. So I can't promise you a Wednesday live show, uh, but probably Sunday night, oncepodcast.com slash live. You'll be able to hang out in the chat room there and then stick around for when Aaron and Jeremy do the live initial reactions there. And I'm sure they'll do a great job. Oh, thanks. And please connect with us on social networks. All of our links are on the website at oncepodcast.com. And share this episode out with your friends by going to oncepodcast.com slash 241. Especially go there So you can see some of those cool screenshots of the runes and Jack's full description of the decoding of the runes and some other cool things there. And uh, we even have some screenshots comparing the two different Gastons that we've seen in Once Upon a Time. So you can just see how different they look and how much better this one fits the part than the old one.
2: Those runes sound like a twister full of twisty spoilers and squiggly lines i can't decide how i think i'm gonna look at them through my fingers like just hold my fingers in front of my eyes and kind of look and see and catch words and decide how much to read
0: well sometimes the runes do look like words like the contract that hades has
2: that's true
0: does actually look like the word contract yes and sometimes they do that sometimes they use the meanings of the runes instead Mm. of the actual words. so it's it's an interesting combination they have but Go to the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 241 for all of those links, our feedback information, our email address, phone number, how you can send us voice messages through the website and such. Please connect with us on Twitter at once podcast and i'm daniel j lewis on twitter at the ramen
2: noodle i'm jeremy laughlin on twitter at fleegon that's p-h-l-e-g-o-n
1: i'm jacqueline and you can follow me on twitter at punk underscore bunny underscore 87
2: this podcast would
0: not be possible without our great team of volunteers and our heroes supporting the podcast so thanks to Corbin for sorting our feedback, Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanis for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in just a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul moderating the forums, Keb for masterminding our timeline, Jenny for managing our Patreon hero bonuses, and Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, and Jacqueline for co-hosting this podcast with me. And until next time, remember, it's going to take much more than a pointy stick to kill me. And thanks for listening one's podcast is a proud member of noodle mix network find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think laugh and succeed at noodle.mx Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you would like to be one of our heroes and get some cool bonuses like our bloopers, early access to our spoilers, and our unedited versions of our podcast recordings with all of our mistakes and other stuff in it, then become a hero for the podcast by going to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support.
3: Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast, episode 518, Ruby Slippers. In flashbacks, Ruby and Milan find themselves in Oz, where they meet Dorothy. After the three witness Zelina's return to Oz, they look for a way to defeat her once and for all. However, Dorothy mysteriously disappears, and Ruby's search for her new friend leads her in the underworld. Reunited with the heroes, Ruby teams up with Emma, Regina, and Snow to continue looking for Dorothy. Meanwhile, Snow and David struggle with not being able to be with their son Neil and devise a plan so that one of them can escape the underworld. This episode is written by Andrew Chambliss and Bill Wolkoff and directed by Eric LaSalle. So, yeah, we got a, a lot of guest stars in this one.
1: We do. Obviously, we have Megan Ory as Ruby, mm-hmm. Jamie Chung as Mulan, yep. Victoria Smurfit is coming back as Cruella DeVille. We also have Terry Reeves as Dorothy. Emma Caulfield is back as the Blind Witch. Paul Lazenby is back as Claude. And it's been quite a while since we've seen Claude. Yes, it has been. And then we have Gina Stockdale as Auntie M, And of course, Greg German as Hades.
3: Yeah. I was not expecting, like, Blind Witch and Claude in this one. Or Cruella, even.
1: I mean, I know she's got a little bit more of a part this half with Henry. Right. I wasn't expecting to see The Blind Witch actually more than really just the season premiere. We know that she's probably appearing later than this, but I didn't expect them to use her as much as they have. It's nice. I'm not complaining, though. Right. She's delightful. And <laughs> we still need her to
3: say butter or gravy.
1: She Yeah, she hasn't said it yet. It's weird.
3: Oh, that's her line. I know. Okay, but anyway, so we did get a promo after last week's episode, Mm
1: -hmm.
3: and Zelina encounters Red, I keep calling her Red, I don't care if it's Red or Ruby, but it's the same person. She, (laughs) She encounters Red, Mulan, and Dorothy and Oz in the woods, and says, looking for me? Like,
1: I don't know, it's a very Zelina thing to say. Right. It's menacing. She's not actually asking. She's being scary. Yeah. Um, But it it does seem like Zelina wants revenge on Dorothy and has her trapped in an unbreakable curse. And it kind of looks like... But there's always an unbreakable curse in this show. And they always seem to break it. That's true. And it kind of seems like it's a sleeping curse, actually.
3: It looks like it, yes. So she traps her in this curse, and Zelina has no remorse for what she did. But Red and Mulan will not let this happen, and they uh,
1: are going to go after her. Yeah. So we'll be seeing the Underworld, and we'll be seeing Oz. And in Oz, of course, we do see flying monkeys.
3: I'm so happy.
1: (laughs) Um, But it does seem like Hades knows what's going on, that Ruby has appeared in the Underworld, and what happened back in Oz, because he... Um, he does have other plans, it seems like. And he does say in the promo, gods don't like it when mortals play with their toys. Yeah. So that's pretty threatening.
3: But yeah, I, I'm not really sure how it all fits together. I'm not either. How is it? Some of it's in the past and other people are in the underworld. And I, it's the past, right? It's not concurrent with what's going on now.
1: No, the Oz stuff will be in the past. But it's not super super past it's pretty recent past
3: okay i'm just still confused i have to wait for the episode
1: yeah we also got a bunch of photos
3: yes we did but a lot of it's all the same
1: yeah a lot of it is of red mulan and dorothy and it looks like they're looking at some sort of glowing cauldron on the ground and they're in the woods so i'm pretty sure it must be oz
3: yeah i think that's true and they're all worried, worried, worried up. It's a new word I made up. Very nice. It's just hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're all in like battle gear. Like Dorothy, we kind of saw that in the last episode. But they all have like the leather with their dresses and
1: it looks kind of fun. It does. They're all just and, like Mulan. And then there are some of Zelina in present day in the underworld. And she's got this giant furry jacket on, and this hat with the most obnoxious feather I have ever seen on an outfit. I know, right? That feather is horrible.
3: It didn't, how is it even being held on? It's not like it's sticking out of the hat. It's, like,
1: glued on the hat. Right. It looks like it was hot glued onto the hat. And it's right in the center of the hat, and it's so big, it's ridiculous. Yes, it is. But we did get a sneak peek We did. We got a lot of stuff this week for this episode already. Yeah,
3: and it literally just came out, guys, when we were recording this. I think I saw
1: it like an hour ago online. So we are happy to have a sneak peek. So it is Zelina and Hades. Yep. And she is in her house looking at the flower that he sent her the episode previous, and he shows up in her house. Well, she's playing with a card.
3: I think she got some new flowers, like, if you watch the episode, she's got, the or the
1: sneak peek, she's got, like, a card in her hand that, like, right. comes think with it's, flowers. Right, I think it's the card that said Zelina on it that was attached to the rose that he sent her at the end of last week. Gotcha. Okay. And Hades shows up at her house, and he tells her that Little Red Riding Hood has appeared in the Underworld. Yes. And this makes Zelina really unhappy. Yeah, because she kind of did something bad to Red. Yeah, she did something bad to Red and kind of to all three of them. She talks about how Red is a, you know, one of Dorothy's friends. And we know that, of course, she has trapped Dorothy in some sort of curse. Probably a sleeping curse. Right. But Delina just wants to get out of the underworld now. Yes. She doesn't think it's safe for her or her baby, so she wants to leave. Hades, though, you know, obviously wants her to stay.
3: Of course, because he's in love with her. Ugh.
1: And... (laughs) So it's a question of whether or not she will stay. Because Zelina is worried about what this will mean for her and Regina if Regina finds out what Zelina did to Dorothy. Right. And she doesn't want to jeopardize
3: anything with her daughter.
1: Yes. And she doesn't want to regret that she'll do something that she'll regret later. And so she's just like, I'm just going to leave. That's probably at the start of the episode. It's probably one of the first scenes. And then we'll see how that plays out. Oh, but Hades did make a comment that, that he wants her to team up with him. Yeah, and of course
3: she says no. She wants to leave, and then I kind of like the way he popped out. Oh yeah, he, he uses he alf- the blue flames. He blue flamed up and pop. But he says he's still going to take care of the wolf. Yes. So Ruby's
1: in danger. Of course, because what would the show be without that? Of course. We also got a script tease. Woohoo! Our favorite. Yes. Do you want to be Emma or do you want to be Snow? Whichever. It doesn't matter to me. Who do you want to be? You let me pick I... the last time. Okay. I'll be Snow White. Okay.
3: Mom, I think it's time. For what?
1: <laughs> and scene. Yes. And scene. Oh, uh, Riveting. Uh... Riveting. So this episode is the one where we will be revisiting the LGBT relationship From the first half of the season, it was at least planted, are the words Adam and Eddie used. Um, The seed was planted. So, based on the promo, the pictures, the press release, and everything else, who do you think it is? Because nobody can decide. Well, it's definitely Mulan. Mm, Really? You think? Because I don't. (laughs) Oh, you don't? No, I don't. I think they're going to go with Dorothy and Red. If you look at the promotional photos from this week, there are a lot of Dorothy and Red. And there was even one that was released at another point that wasn't released in the official package of Dorothy giving flowers to Red.
3: Oh, okay. See, that just messes everything up then. And...
1: Because I it was always moved on
3: in the past. Like, from, what was it, season two? Season three?
1: Season two and three. Yeah. if Like, with the press release... Red is the one who is traveling to find her friend Dorothy. And we talked about this before, that the slang a friend of Dorothy was um, a term that was coined back in the 50s, I do believe, to refer to a homosexual. So, I don't know. It could go either way, but right now I'm leaning pretty strongly toward it being Ruby and Dorothy. Okay, I can see it. And if not, then I would say maybe Mulan and Dorothy. Yeah, I definitely think it's someone and Dorothy. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the only other two choices.
3: But we'll just have to wait and see how they play it out. Because last time, the last time Mulan showed up, they didn't do anything with it. Right. So we'll just have to wait and
1: see till Sunday. Now, we do have a Robin Hood update.
3: Okay. You guys I don't probably, know this, so.
1: Yes. So you all probably know the speculation, if you've been listening to our spoilers, that Robin is going to die. All the filming shots and some things that Sean McGuire has said have sort of indicated toward that. We do have a few more little pieces of information now. Uh, Sean and Lana Perea were at a convention this past weekend, and Sean actually talked about the filming for next year. And he said that, you know, everyone's going on break right now, that they'll come back in July. Now, he could just be playing pretty diplomatic because obviously he's not going to say, oh, but I won't be there because my character's going to die. Right. But it did definitely stick out. And then one of the other big clues was TV Line had released a blind item about a major character being killed off. And it turns out it was not Robin and Once Upon a Time. The blind item happened last week on a different show. Oh. So we still know that there is going to be a death and a funeral around episode 521. But... There is a sliver of hope. <laughs> Let me put it that way. I I definitely think Robin's going to die, but I'm not sold anymore, 100% at least, that he won't be coming back. still think he's going to die, though. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, all the photos we've seen, like, we haven't seen him in them. Yeah, he hasn't been seen in quite a while. And we know that he actually just left Vancouver when he was done filming, like, episode 520, 521. Weird, But
3: he could also just be contracted not to say anything. They could have signed a letter of um, confidentiality or whatever.
1: Yep. But we'll know soon enough because those
3: episodes are getting pretty close. Yes. And that is one of our other updates. We
1: have a two-hour finale coming up. Right. A lot like with season three and season four. The end of season five is going to be a two-hour long finale. It starts at 7 p.m., though. Not 8, it starts at 7. So change your DVRs, people. Yep, and it's going to start with episode 522 and then 523. Yep, that's awesome. What day is that again, the 12th?
3: 15th. Oh, I'm off. I didn't have a calendar in front of me. (laughs) Okay, so I think that's all we have for you this week. Not a lot. I'm Hunter, you can follow me on
1: Twitter at TravelingPixie. And I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, monsters.